0: So all of those things we shared are very cool things, but again, it is not the reason we're here We're not here simply to have a logo We're not here simply to be a part of helping communicate how this started We're not simply here to say wow what a great offering though. All of those things are very cool As we keep saying we are here because it's all about jesus It's all about jesus and I, i'm we're gonna like man We're gonna cut ourselves, and we are going to bleed that statement as a church. I really pray that, because again, it, it will be really easy to, to lose sight of that and say, well, uh, we're, we're focused on kind of the what's next for us structure-wise, or what's next for us uh, in some kind of principle idea, when we say, well, wait, we already know why we're here. Uh, we're here for Jesus. And strangely enough, for us, we're a unique type of church we're a church without walls. We have been gloriously dislodged. We are this nomadic people now with this awesome backpack, which it's upgraded this week, right? So it's, it's all kind of customized and pulled together now, which is very nice, right? So, but that's the heart. And it was interesting. I was talking to Scott out in the foyer uh, just a little while ago, and he went to a seminar this week uh, with uh, one of the professors from Fuller Seminary and the professor was making the point that uh, for you know, a number of years in our culture, uh, the local church was the center of the community. And by that, they meant the structure. It was the center of the community. Uh, but in recent years, that center has shifted to the local high school. And how strange that God has chosen to put us at this place at this time to do his things. I think it just continues to extend into the idea of what it means to be a church sort of unbound, unbridled, unkept. Therefore, we can be a blessing to the city. Right? This is the thing we're going to continue to say as well is that we are a group of imperfect people. Redeemed by a perfect God and therefore everything that we do is for the glory of God by the grace of God for the good of our city And so whatever he puts us in whatever context right is opportunity to that end It's opportunity to that end And I and personally I I look at this and I go man I love the idea of being a church without walls because when I go and I look at the early church, you know what it was Church without walls church without walls. It was completely unshackled from that idea. And they were left to be with the people in the culture, making investment, rubbing shoulders, caring about, investing into, that kind of thing. That is so much what the essence and spirit of this is all about. And you think how it began. I mean, when the church kicked off, I mean, you think about the collection of people. Go back to the story. Jesus comes. He lives. He teaches. He heals. He cares. He confronts. He does all those things. Right? He he, he just works into everybody what he's doing. And then he's slaughtered. And then he raises from the dead. And for the next 40 days, he begins to invest into this group of people that frankly were fruits, flakes, and nuts. I mean, they were... I mean, really, the apostles, man, they were were untrained at times and impetuous and cowardly and all these things. In other words, they were imperfect. Imperfect, but Jesus was perfect. Jesus still is perfect. And in his perfection, he was working and developing and training and unleashing them. And then you get to this season in the book of Acts where then Jesus comes to the apostles in his resurrected form. And he says, here's the deal that you need to know about being the church. And this is what he says in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if we break this down just rapidly, look at what it says. The first thing, you will receive power. You'll receive power. It doesn't say, you know what, we have to muster ourselves and we've got to dig deep and find power within ourselves. That's cheeseball, bad, wrong, and will not help. What it says is, we've received power. We've received this gift that God has given, which Jesus goes on to say, you won't receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you realize that if you are God's people and you are God's church, God lives in us. He lives in us. He comes to reside in you. That whole temple gig, he says, yeah, that was sweet, gold-covered, plated thing with marble and all, but I would rather live in my people than, than live in a structure See, that's why we always say we are the church, and more than that, we are the residents of, of God. And so Jesus is telling the man, you don't have to dig deep. He's going to give you the power. You don't have to do it on your own. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then from that, you will be my witnesses to your city, Jerusalem, to your area, Judea, to the overarching region, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, every one of us, that becomes, in a lot of ways, our our purpose statement as individuals, right? Uh, We want to be for the city. We want to be for the area. We want to be for the region. We want to be for the world. Why? Because God's power has come upon us. His Spirit lives in us to do those things. In fact, it says to be His witness. His witness. Not just a witness of good morals and good, good ethics and proper citizenry and those kinds of things, but a witness to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? We're a witness to Redemption Church? No. We're a witness to to Jesus. See, that's the code. That's the calling. That's the creed of the whole thing. And so again, Jesus tells the church, this is what it's going to be. And I'm sure as he tells them this, and he gives them this promise after 40 days of teaching them that there's this electricity in the air, you know, it's charged. It just needs a spark to ignite it. And you get to Acts 2. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit just kicks in the door, busts open a chunk of heaven, and it is on at that point. It is on. I mean, the church just fires up, takes off. Things are a go, man. Things are going to happen. Because it's not by the might of people, it's not by the wisdom of minds, it's not by the creativity of really clever individuals, it's because God's Spirit's at work. Because God's church is on the move. Because the church's calling and responsibility is that of mission. And it's awesome because men that were just cowards some two months ago, now are more than conquerors in Acts 2. It's a group of nobodies wanting to tell everybody about one somebody. And it's powerful and it's profound. And you read through Acts chapter 2, and it says in verse 41, it says, so those who believed Peter's words were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls in a day, in one day. And it didn't stop there. Verse 47, it says, and then the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now again, look at the context, right? These guys are all ducking and hiding. Jesus builds them up, says, I'm going to give you power. They're hanging out in a room. The Holy Spirit comes, kicks open the door, empowers them. They go and the church erupts. Now, at this point, as the church erupts, and now it's 3,000 plus and daily being added to, here's what the church did not have at that point. You ready? It didn't have a budget. It didn't have a building. It didn't have bylaws. It did not have those things. You, you know what it had? It had passion. The church had Jesus. The church had focus. The church had hunger. In fact, the church, if anything, had this undefinable but undeniable reality where people looked and says, I don't know what it is, but it's it. That's what it has. It's got it. Right? People weren't even sure what to make of the church, but boy, it was doing something. And they were rushing into that because God was on the move. The Spirit was igniting their passions. The mission was an impulse that was driving them. The frontier of opportunity was before them. And it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Now in time, the church develops and grows matures and starts to get under itself these different little things, but it never loses sight of the big idea. And the big idea really is that the church had nothing to hold it down So basically from that, there was nothing holding them back. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. That is the essence of what it means to be a missional type church. In fact, the way I would say it is that in in a lot of ways, what they did, what they exhibited is the heritage of the dislodged church, right? It's going to be about people and it's going to be about Jesus and, and pretty much that's the scope that's the scope didn't have borders or edges or bulkheads to isolate them or to secure them or to comfort them or to identify them just jesus and them connected to him as a community of faith right that's the heart of the church that's the essence of the church that was their identity And in this identity, then, they had certain tools. The tools are what we've articulated in our backpack here, right? They had doctrine. The apostles' doctrine, it says. We have the Bible. And they also had things like the gospel, which is our squirt gun, the coolest thing ever. um, Which is storm in hell with the good news of Jesus. And they had fellowship, which is the rope that ties us together. And then they had a backpack, which is they had mission. They just knew that whatever it was, they were to go first to their city, then to the area, the region at large, then the world. Go, 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 go with the Bible, with fellowship, with the gospel. See, this is where Redemption Church is, is in that sense, no different than the first century church. We're the same thing. In fact, when you look at the first century church and you plug it into the 21st century that we all live in now, uh, what we're really talking about is that every single one of us is just like what they were in their day. Every one of them, and therefore every one of us, is by design a missional theologian. A missional theologian. I want you to plug that in. We're going to use this term every once in a while. You're going to be like, oh man, it's a big term. Why do I have to memorize that? We're smart people. We're missional theologians. And over the next two weeks, we're going to break that down. And I don't want you to get too lost in it, because here's what it means. We're God-centered, God-glorifiers. Right? That's it. We're God-centered, God-glorifiers. That's a missional theologian. And so this week, I want to look at what it means to be missional. Next week, I want to look at what it means to be a theologian. And as soon as you start thinking theologian, and you go, oh, so this is academic? No. Theologians if they really do things the way they're supposed to, are worshipers. They're worshipers. They're not so much scholars. They're worshipers. So, missional theologians is those on mission as worshipers. But today is mission, right? What does it mean for us to be missional? And I'm putting this on the back of every one of us. Every one of us is a missionary if we believe in Jesus. He didn't say, hey, come and follow me and keep it to yourself. I mean, not even remotely close. He says, if you want to follow me, be certain that you do because it means sharing, which means some people will dig you, some people won't, right? That's what he says. So if we're his, man, we're ambassadors instantaneously. We're missional. So what does missional mean? Well, first of all, missional means that we are out and about. We are out and about. That's how it works. In fact, a great thing out of Mark chapter 6, something about Jesus that I love that just kind of sticks out to me, In Mark chapter 6, it says, And whenever Jesus came, in villages, cities, or countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplace. No matter what city, what town, what countryside, what village, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might, he might touch them, even the fringe of his garment. They just, they just wanted that. And we would go, yeah, that's right, he was a healer. But the thing that sticks out to me is how strange that they didn't take the sick and lay them at the synagogue. Kind of strange. I mean, I, I think that's something to take note of. That when Jesus would roll into town, everybody knew, go to the marketplace. It says something about where Jesus would hang out. See, Jesus developed the culture of the marketplace before everybody knew to bring everybody to the marketplace. Had Jesus just been hanging out at the synagogue all the time, they'd all go there. But but he knew what he was doing. He wanted to be in and among the people because he was a missionary. Leaves the culture of heaven, comes to the culture of earth. Where is the most likely place that you're going to reach people? Marketplace. Because Jesus wasn't cultivating a faith of the temple. He wasn't cultivating a faith of the synagogue. He was cultivating a faith of real life every day, marketplace, real people, real problems, real things with real solutions. So he was out in it. We see Paul was about this as well in Acts chapter 17, verse 17. It says, so he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons. In other words, the half-convinced, right? They read their Bibles, they go to church, they want to understand. He would go and he would reason with them because they were kind of like half-convinced. It says, and he also, though, would go into the marketplace every day. He would go into the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. See, here's the thing about Christianity. it's, It's really not a faith that is to be packed into one location on Sunday morning, and we call that good. That's fun. That's great. That's worship. We join. We need to. But Paul, every day, marketplace, everybody knew if Jesus was in town, he was in the marketplace. Our faith is a faith of the marketplace. It's supposed to be. And it's strange, because if you think about it, I was kind of toying around with it this week. I thought, you know, so often, the, the way we think about the marketplace is economy, right? I mean, even as, as Christians, we go, oh, the marketplace, that's about business, that's about commerce, it's about trade, it's about making bank, whatever else. But, but really, while, while it's those things, oddly enough, it is also the primary mission field for us. Primary where we can be embedded, where we can be proud of Jesus, where we can share what it is that God has done in our life. I mean, it doesn't matter where it is. The marketplace for us, if you're a student, might be school. If you're a college student, it's college. If you're in the business world, it's the business world. If it's supporting a, a volunteer organization in town, that's what it is. If you're a volunteer at school, that's what it is. If it's your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac, that's what it is. See, that's where our faith should be alive, because our heritage Through Jesus, through Paul, is a faith of the marketplace, out and about. Because the the marketplace is opportunity. It's this blank canvas that that we are able to write on. And here's the thing. The more uh, we, we, we stand out for Jesus, proud of Jesus... Uh, loving Jesus, not ashamed of Jesus in our jobs, our school, our neighborhood, with our friends, whatever. The more we do that, and it's not like this weird thing, but we're just like, man, Jesus just means the world to me. That that receives attention. It does. It receives attention. It's not like the same where people, go, oh no, you're a freak. Some do, and that's okay. But a lot of people, they they respect a genuineness of faith, especially when it's when it's genuine. And so we learn from Jesus, we learn from Paul, that missional is out and about, and we want to be out and about in the marketplace. Proud of Jesus. See, that's what it's going to take for all of us to really uh, be on mission. And we're going to do it at different levels in different ways, and you know what, we let God do His work in that. But that is the hardened fabric of Redemption Church. The second thing I see about missional is it has to do with outlook and action. Outlook and action. It's one thing to say, okay, so I want to be out and I want to be about. But now I want us to think through like, man, what is my disposition internally? What am I kind of working through? What is it I'm going to do as I'm out and about, right? That's the heart behind all of this. And the outlook is critical. I see it in Acts chapter 18. Now Paul's just walked into Corinth and it's freaking him out. I mean, you got to get that. Like, man, this city is twisted. It's perverse, man. We we think, like, certain cities in our country go, oh, that's a bad city, man. Whatever happens there stays there. You do not bring that home, all right? So we know bad cities. We can't even compete with Corinth. Corinth was a bad city with a lot of just gnarly, nasty problems. And so Paul goes there, and he is freaked out. The the dude that, like, rolls into cities, gets stoned, left for dead outside, goes back in and preaches again. That, That bold guy that we all know. Freaked out in Corinth. And so Jesus literally has to speak to Paul. If you have a red letter edition, you'll see it's in red letters, right? And so it says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. And speak and don't be silent. He says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. Now, here's what's cool about this. Nobody had been converted to Christ in Corinth yet. No one had. When Jesus comes to Paul, Paul's like, man, I don't know about the city. They are pagan to the core. I don't want to do this. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't get it. We're missing some. The question is, who's missing? Who's missing? Because I have many people in the city, Paul, they haven't heard yet, they haven't connected yet, they, they, they don't know that I'm their Lord yet, but you're going to preach, you're going to share, you're going to be real and authentic and communicate the liberating freedom of the gospel, which is redemption, and boy, I have many people waiting to hear that. See, that's what I mean by an outlook. Our outlook as a people, as we go to school, or we go to work, or we serve in our community, is who are we missing? Were we missing? I, I think about it. In, in, in your own lives, how many of you um, have a relationship now with Jesus Christ? You've come to to experience his life giving grace because somebody else shared it with you? I mean, how many? I mean, a lot of us. Outside of, you know, mom, three years old on the foot of the bed stuff, you know, and even then it was somebody sharing. But a lot of us, even it was later in life, our teen years or adulthood or whatever. Where somebody shared because the thought is, who are we missing? That, that's the outlook. That's the outlook, right? And then the action is what we see of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He tells us his strategy for reaching people. He says, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I love that. All things, all people, all means, just for some. In other words, he wants to reach all, but he's putting all in knowing that it may only be some. But he goes all in, man. He just puts the whole pile in the middle, right? 21 for Jesus right here. You push it in. That was his heart. And I love it in verse 23, he says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, right? For the sake of the gospel. In other words, what I look at there is I I see that Paul isn't just fixated on being a role model, being a good guy, being an example of morality. He says, "No, no, no, I do this for the sake of the gospel. And so that's what we want to do as well, right? So as we live our lives, here's some things that we can do in our city, maybe your neighborhood. Um, that you're that house that's just hospitable all the time. All the time, right? Everybody goes, oh, those neighbors are always going to watch our house when we're gone. They'll take care of our pets when we're gone. They'll make sure that everything is okay when we're gone. If there's something happens and we need to put our kids someplace, that's the house. You're the one that hosts the barbecue in the summer. You're the one that has the dinner party every once in a while. Whatever it is in your cul-de-sac, on your street, that hospitality is a huge leverage. But then here's what you do. You'd be proud of Jesus in the, in the process of that. Maybe you look at our city and you go, oh man, our city needs this thing to, to be served in some way. So you champion that cause. And you love the city by serving the city. All things, in all ways, by all means, but for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it's just being an influencer in some way. Maybe it's coaching soccer or little league or basketball. And as you go in as a coach and you go, I want to help develop these, these children. And I want to really make sure they turn into quality people. But your heart in that too is, are we missing any for Jesus, their families, them, whatever, right? That, that That's mission. That's what it means. See, I think at the real heart of all of this is that each and every one of us just takes that ownership that says, you know what? There's, there, there's things that are true to culture. For example, what's true to culture, and we talked about that actually this at Fight Club with our men, we said men follow men more than programs. Men follow men. So my challenge to us as men in this room is not just to be men and not just to be good men, but to be godly men. Because men want to follow men. A godly man, man, does the right thing every time for the sake of Jesus. Not just because it's right, but for the sake of Jesus. A godly man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. A godly man cares for his kids. He dates his daughters. He trains his sons because he's a godly man and wants a legacy. And when men live as godly men, not just good men, other men say I want to follow. That makes you a missionary. The same with women. I would say women inspire other women, and I see it all the time. And so for us as missionaries, it's being godly women who inspire other women. Inspire. Be that woman that's safe, encouraging. Be that woman that really builds other women up, right? And you do it all because you're proud of Jesus. Same with the teens of our church, right? What do we know about teenagers? Teenagers influence teenagers. Amen. I like the uh, with that. Um, it's true. We, we know that, right? So you 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 get to make an active choice as a teenager. How are you going to influence? Am I going to be an average teenager, a good teenager, or a godly teenager? Because if you're a godly teenager and it's all about Jesus and you take that serious and it conforms your life and transforms your person, man, I'll tell you what, that's mission. It is an influencing power. When men live as godly men, as women live as godly women, as teens live as godly teens. See, that's the action of missional people having an outlook that says, who are we missing? And then last, missional is about mindset and calling. Mindset and calling, which means to be missional, to say, I'm all about the gospel. I'm all about the kingdom. Jesus is first. Jesus wins. He's the guy. All of that. To, To have that, it means we have to have a mindset. And I love this mindset in Jeremiah, because this gets into how we see this city. Jeremiah says, this says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, here's what you're supposed to do now that you're in exile. You are in a culture that is not your culture, which is all of us. We're in a culture that is not our culture. He says, build houses. And live with them, plant gardens and eat the produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But then in verse seven, it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf for its welfare you will find is your welfare. Man, I think God gives a great thing here, right? Where it's not just like, hey, man, we want to be a great church. Hey, I I go, man, I want us to be a great church. I do. But more importantly, I want us to have great cities that are blessed by great churches. Right? That's the real idea. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus, and Jesus is all about reaching. Right? So the mindset we have is, man, how do I bless the city? How do I invest into the city? How do I keep the welfare of the city before me always as I do what I do? See, be that really great Christian on your street. Like I said, be that really great Christian that others have class with you with. Be that really great Christian in your office. Be that person that go, man, that Christian guy, that Christian gal, that Christian kid, they're awesome. They're awesome. Right? That's the heart of what we're talking about. It's being problem solvers more than problem pointers, you know. People need that. It's creating and developing God-glorifying endeavors. It's making sure that our faith isn't just personal and private, but it's public and blessing of the city. Right? That's the heart. That's the outlook. That's the calling. And probably in this, really, as we think about the mindset and the calling... I think about Peter's wise words in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. In other words, we know this isn't our culture. This world isn't our culture. The system isn't our culture. He says, my dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. See, as much as we say we want to be in the city, for the city, we want to bless the city, but we want to make sure that in that we really are a blessing. That our distinctive is distinct. To live in the culture, but to make sure we also understand that our desire is to see the redemption of our culture. And so there's little things that that we can do because as we said last week, there's this reality that the world around us are going to look and they're going to ask two questions. Is God real and are you real? That's it. I mean, that's how simple this is. They're going to say, is God real and are you real? And in some strange way, to the degree that we are real is to the degree they're going to see a real God. I I think we know that. And so what are little things that we can do in our culture? Here's just some simple little things tips. And the first one has to do with tips. All right. That's how easy this is. Today, we're going to leave out of this place and we're going to go into our city and we might go to Xtapa or we might go to Quiznos or we might go to wherever we choose the grill, whatever it is, we're going to go in there and here's what's going to happen. It's going to be him, her, two kids or three kids or four kids or if you're the Duggars, 19 kids, you're going to walk in. Right. And and nobody's going to think they must be coming from a basketball tournament. Uh, Sunday between eleven thirty and two, you're a Christian. To that, that that establishment, right? That that's what you are. And so they're wanting to know: is God real? Or are you real? And so as we sit down, uh, the the thing to do is to man really treat them with respect. They're not servers; they're people. We don't say, "Where's my server." They're people. They may be people that we're having to ask ourselves the question of, who's missing? Are they missing? They might be. So, uh, boy, I'm going to treat them with respect and dignity, and I'm going to make sure that I really connect with them, and I looked at them eye to eye, just simple little things like that, because they're looking up. Here's the Christian crowd. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? If there's a problem with our meal, that we're generous and gracious, we don't go, well, I paid for this. Well, you did, but... Boy, mission is more important than whether it was cold, because they're looking. At the end of the meal, it's amazing. You know what? If you tip them two bucks more, you're getting hyper mileage, man. Two bucks. They're going to say, those Christians aren't so bad. Two bucks are going to say, those Christians are good people. Two bucks are going to say, I'm going to pay more attention, because they're cool. Simple little thing. Right? That's how we can be a missionary. Just simple things like tipping or temperament. If we're kind versus we're aggressive, if we're easygoing and quick to forgive, or we want to always make a point and have the last word and have a stinger in the middle of it, boy, just simple things like our temperament can make a difference. Our tongue. right? We live in a town that likes to pass information usually broken. We do. You want to be totally countercultural, stand-up for Jesus? When somebody says, hey, I heard, say, hey, let's stop. Don't pass it along. Don't necessarily accept it. Point them in the right directions. Now, you can be nice about that. I think you need to be nice about that. But just simple things like that, that we don't pass on the gossip, that we don't pass on the things, that we stand out as being the encouragers. And I would say in this, it's about thoughtfulness. Just being thoughtful. Now, all of this is wrapped up in the gospel. We do it all for the sake of the gospel. We do it all because we go, who's missing? But we're being thoughtful. Thoughtful things are like just keeping our yard mowed. is thoughtful. You know, that seems trivial. But it's funny how quickly people want to pounce on the fact that, you know, anything a Christian doesn't do right is automatically tethered to their Christianity somehow. I mean, it doesn't even fit, man. It's like, you know, that guy just doesn't you know, wax his car, Christians. You know, I mean, it's unfortunately we're targets jesus said as much which is why he said boy live wise the serpents and gentle as doves right just little things little things like even as we meet in this school you know what showing it respect cleaning up the trash we're like boy scouts man leave it better than you found it kind of thing right that's what we want to do don't climb over the chairs to come to the front that's just a encouragement all right just a thought Right. But just showing that respect and thanking teachers and thanking administrators. And when you come to a sporting event to, to tell them, thank you that we're allowed to use the school. This is such a blessing for us. Those are the little things that we can do, but we do all of it as we are proud of Jesus. I'm always going to bring it back to that. Just be proud of Jesus as we do all these things. So we don't want to just be good people, kind people, responsible people that people go, wow, they're just good, kind, and responsible. We want to be good, kind, and responsible because it is our way of intersecting the gospel with those that we say, who are we missing? Who are we missing? Because we know that at the end of the day, what Jesus calls us to, what we will stand before him for one day is not what job we had, what school we went to, what sport we played, what everything is going to hinge on is did I receive the credit and the glory at the job you had, the sport you played, the school you attended, the neighborhood group that you were involved with, the volunteerism you conducted he's going to want to say were you a missional theologian for me, were you proud of me as you did all of that see that's the heart of mission, that is the heart of our church and so that is what we do when we pack it out We pack this heart and this spirit into our city to bless it for the glory of God, by the grace of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are setting up for us um, kind of the parameter and the focus Of what we get to be about, and I pray that, boy, you know, even as I look out there this morning and I see, boy, this place is packed. I pray that it becomes more packed because you have many people in this city, because we are a presence uh, that is proud of you, because we want to connect with people at all the different levels, right? Not just solely and exclusively by sharing the message of your good news, but then also by living out the fruit of that good news by loving people and caring for their needs and serving them in all sorts of ways. I mean, that's what we desire. We want to be a place that truly blesses the environment, uh, both our city, our region, our area, the world at large, as you send us in different ways. Um, we want to keep uh, focus on what you're about. So I pray that you would encourage us and stimulate us, and I pray even as we worship now that you would draw close to us and we sense your presence, which is a greater motivator to go and do what we do that it really is for you, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you in your awesome name. Amen.